Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Postgame Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Matt DeMarinas, and this podcast is sponsored by uh, CourtDate. Uh, CourtDate.io is a new way to play in Omaha. You got to check it out if you already haven't. Uh, Matt Hoover, former White and Blue Review analytics guru, um, has this site up and running. And if you're looking, he's kind of a middleman if you're looking for um, facilities in the Omaha metro area to get workouts in. If you have teams that need practice times, um, if you're just looking for a gym to play and uh, kind of want to avoid the middleman, that'll do the work for you. Um, hit up courtdate.io because they'll get you, you know, set up with a, you know, as these vaccines are going around, uh, not everybody's quite on the up and up yet. Or, you know, you need a COVID friendly, socially distanced uh, facility to get a workout in. Um, hit up Matt at courtdate.io and they'll get you hooked up with the local facilities in the area. So check them out. Um, on today's podcast, we've got uh, the Canadian Red Bull back uh, to finish out this NCAA tournament run in style. Uh, Jahens Managa, appreciate you jumping on, my, my dude. Uh, <laughs> I know you wanted to be on a, under different circumstances, but you're still sipping, and we're still ready to talk some Jays. So life is yeah. life has some blessings left to count still. Yeah, yeah. I was telling you before we got on air that I was in such a celebratory mood today. I, I bought a blueberry cheesecake. I'm wearing blue. I'm even wearing blue underwear today. I thought we were really going to be able to pull this one out, but unfortunately, uh, it'd be like that sometimes. I think that's going to be kind of like the theme of of today's podcast, um, where just the boys couldn't get it rolling and Gonzaga you know, kind of showed up and showed out. So those are the circumstances, but Hey, uh, what's the model that I've heard often before in Omaha, win or lose Jay's booze. This is one of those situations. tonight. <laughs> yes. That is the, uh, that's the, the way we live around here. So yeah, let's, let's, let's let it rock. I think, but you know, you mentioned Gonzaga, like, I never really watched this game from the lens of um, from the lens of like Creighton's shortcomings, I guess. I mean, I, I obviously knew what they were, you know, I knew what they weren't. I mean, I think they were like six of 16 at the rim um, and didn't shoot it well from three. So I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> if that, if that's going to happen, that's not going to get it done today. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I was cognizant of what their shortcomings were in terms of like how they were playing out there, but you know, I can't help but feel like the better team won today. And when that happens, I don't really feel like disappointment for Creighton in terms of their performance. Like, I don't feel like they – I thought they put their – other than the shooting, I thought they put their best effort out on the floor. And I think that's, like – that's something I can appreciate, right? They didn't, they didn't like, get overwhelmed by uh, the hype around Gonzaga. They didn't look they, like they were afraid today. Um, they showed up, they played hard. They were hitting the floor, diving for loose balls. They were doing all the things that had they shot better would have put them in position to win that game. And I think that's kind of what I appreciate about Creighton's performance today was although it wasn't their, their a plus game in terms of shot making, I felt like they played winning basketball today, except for, except for that part of it. They definitely did. They, uh, I mean, they did everything that you would ask of them, right? They, 
hustled out there. They were really physical. I thought at one point it's just, you know, too many miscommunications, especially on, on pick and roll situations with allow Gonzaga to have some easy opportunities at the hoop. And I thought in some few instances, the Jays went up a little soft around the rim, as you just, you know, uh, just mentioned their, their scoring around the rim wasn't top notch as we would need it to be in order to advance in such a big game. Um, but you're playing the outright number one uh, overall seed. Um, they're undefeated this year for a reason. They're a really well-coached team. Um, and with all that being said, Crane didn't necessarily look out of place today. Like it wasn't like Gonzaga looked like they were just so much better than the team that, you know, represented Crane University. Is just when you miss on those opportunities and, and shots aren't falling and all those uh, mistakes compound on one another, uh, then the score looks a, lo- a little bit more lopsided than, than what you would um, think it would be just watching the game, just, you know, uh, in a biased, unbiased opinion of mine. <laughs> For sure. You know, the, it, it, I, I think your, your, your point about miscommunication is, is, is uh, apt because early in the game, Gonzaga got off to that 9-2 to two run, and there were back-to-back miscommunications in transition about, I mean, they lost Timmy, um, on a slip to the rim because they were they kind of stopped at the three point line, and then I think it was Suggs who got loose in a transition, kind of a secondary break in transition. Also that that prompted a timeout for Creighton. So the transition defense definitely was not good to start the game, but they still played themselves back into it after that. So they didn't like get <laughs> shook. They didn't get shook by that initial run. I thought Christian Bishop did some good things. I thought Marcus Zagorowski was red hot. Um, you know, he was he was ready to go shot for shot with the Zags today. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think the game really flipped when and this is kind of how I felt going in. I don't know if you agree or not, but I felt like the matchup at the five, whichever if it, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy and, and Creighton Christian Bishop, like whoever could stay out of foul trouble and kind of get into their rhythm offensively because they're so different at the five spot. Those two, <laughs> I felt like that was going to help their respective teams settle in and Christian picked up that second foul um, with about nine minutes left, nine, 15, nine, nine, 20 left in the first half. And I think it was still a one or two possession game at that point. They were going shot for shot with each other. And when mm-hmm. that, after that happened, I think Creighton missed 10 of their next 11. I know you don't think of Christian as like a shot maker type of dude, but just the, his presence on the floor in terms of his spacing and his angles and, um, how he's kind of always there to help out clean things up and finish around the rim that that affects it because you turn into a jump shooting only team when he's off the floor essentially so I thought the game flipped right there when he came off the floor Creighton went cold offensively um, Gonzaga stretched the lead out and it really never never was uh, I don't think they got a single digits ever again at that point so I don't know how you felt about that stretch where where Christian had to sit for a little bit um I guess we can kind of get into it already. I, I think if anyone is going to learn a lot from this game, it's going to be Kalkbrenner. And I believe he's going to be all the much better for it because he was kind of thrown into the fire, as you just mentioned. And we talked about those opportunities at the hoop. He he had a bunch of them, especially in, in yeah. you know, that middle part of the first half uh, where it just, you know, got off the board a little weird, didn't go in the way that he planned. For a two, he got himself a good position for offensive rebounds, but wasn't able to connect on putbacks. And then, you know, I thought he did some pretty decent post moves and got some good angles to, you know, use the board and then, you know, make a basket, but it just wasn't working out for him. And on the other end, Timmy was giving him, you know, all kinds of troubles down there. So 
uh, it's kind of unfortunate. This is the setting where, you know, he he kind of gets the gut punch, perhaps it's going to turn him into a much better player in the future, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. But I think that a player that is really going to learn from, you know, this past experience, especially from today's game specifically, is going to be called Brenner. And like I said, I hope that he he's going to be all the more better for it with just, you know, getting stronger, you know, getting getting tougher in size, using his length and his height to, to be in a and uh, you know really affecting the game in more than one ways for yeah i think you're uh, hey you got me yeah i got you sorry i paused it for a second my bad uh with zoom we cut it no it it froze up for a little bit yeah it's all good yeah I'm I'm quick on the pause button when the zoom starts yeah. cutting in and out. It's just the way we do it nowadays. Um, okay, no, I think, that's good. Yeah, you're good now. Uh, I think that uh, that's the thing about Gonzaga too. Like Creighton has a lot of experience, but <laughs> Gonzaga doesn't mess around, man. If you have to go to a Ryan Kalkbrenner, this is no, this is no sh- uh, shot at Kalkbrenner. Like he's just not. He's not experienced. That's that's the one thing he doesn't have yet. So Gonzaga comes at you in waves of talented, experienced dudes. Like they've all played together. They all know this situation, you know, and you look at, um, I mean, Andrew Nemhard's like their fifth best player, you know, in terms of weapons offensively. He's like, he was a stud at Florida. He was like Florida's best player. You know what I mean? They bring him in and bring him into the mix. He was the best player on the floor today. And it's like, okay, well, that's just an embarrassment of riches, you know? I mean, sometimes Creighton's been on the right end of that one. Sometimes you're the hammer. Sometimes you're in the nail. Like today, today Gonzaga was the hammer. They had answers for everything. Um, you know, Drew Timmy was, was incredible. He was efficient. He, he was smart. Um, you know, Corey Kispert, although he didn't go off and hurt Creighton, I thought that was a good job on Creighton's end in terms of limiting him but he made the most of when he got his opportunities. Um, I think the one guy that they actually defended really well for most of the game was the, was Gonzaga's least experienced player, Jalen Suggs. Right. So yeah. yeah, like I think he had six or seven turnovers, didn't shoot it great. Um, you know, I think, so if you look at the way the two, the two least experienced players in this matchup in Ryan Kalkbender and Jalen Suggs, they both struggled a bit today. It was just that Gonzaga's experienced players played better than Creighton's. That was the difference. Yeah, a shout out to Nemhard, a Canadian. You know, I around That's the right. I, I yeah. always got a rep for my Canadian. So even though again he was on the opposite side of the floor, uh, he is a Canadian, so I got to represent. And then also his younger brother is currently committed yep. uh, to come to Creighton. So hopefully we get a little bit of that magic in, in our system as well. But no, you're absolutely right. Like with with Suggs, you know, you would think that he would be he's the most talented guy on Gonzaga's roster for sure, but he's also the guy that struggled the most. And that's where experience really plays a factor. You have a guy like Neron who literally just stepped right into that position and, you know, had the offense buzzing uh, the same way that they would, whether or not, you know, Jalen was, was struggling. So uh, yeah, it it was just a a tough, I guess, defensive matchup all around. You mentioned Kispert being kind of held in check a little bit. I thought, a little bit like what Mitch does uh, for the Jays, Kispert mm-hmm. does for Gonzaga, where he creates a lot of attention on the weak side, and which is why, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, especially early on in the game, they got some easy slips and dives to the hoop because we're paying attention to, to 24 out there on the court for Gonzaga. So, um, it, yeah, like uh, 
you said it best. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. The Jays were definitely the nail today, and, and that's unfortunate. But again, you kind of have to give props to Gonzaga. Uh, very well coached, a, a, well, a well-oiled machine right now at this point of the season. And uh, that's the reason why they're the outright number one seed. Yeah, before we get into questions here uh, and get some other topics going, I just wanted your take on Gonzaga. Like, what, what, when you look at them, like, first of all, I guess it's, it's probably silly because they're 29 and 0. So there's only so much we can say without being kind of like, well, duh, guys, they're undefeated and they're the best team in the country, clearly. But when you watch them, what's the most impressive things that you take away? You're like, wow, that's not just, uh, kind of good that's high level that's high level stuff that ball is just zooming and you can tell there's so much trust within that group uh i counted maybe a handful of times where you know guys just stop the ball for the sake of stopping the ball uh on that side of the floor so when that ball is just constantly moving the defense is always rearranging and they're never set yeah which is why crane has such a tough time defensively matching up on the weak side where Gonzaga would just end up with an empty side ball screen. And, you know, it was a pick and roll nightmare, especially between Namard and, uh, and Timmy. So when that happens and like, Liz, I'm talking about it from a Korean standpoint right now, defensively where you feel like you just can't get stops, it puts all that much pressure for you to actually score offensively. And on a game like today where the Jays struggle to score in the paint to get the easy ones, which would undoubtedly leave them for some open kickouts, you know, down the stretch, which we all know that they can knock down because they couldn't get that inside game going, Gonzaga just kind of said, you know what, you guys want to attack the hoop? Go ahead, challenge Timmy at the hoop and, and see, you know, whether or not you'll be successful on that end. And uh, it, it's a good plan from Gonzaga. They, they just really limited Crane's good looks from three. Zagorowski was the only one because of his ability to create those looks for himself that kind of got off early. Um, we talked about, you know, a, a tipping point when Bishop went on, on the uh, – on the bench because of the foul trouble. Well, who got him there? You know, it, it was Timmy and, and his early work on the post and, you know, his savviness around the rim, pump faking, using one or two dribble moves to get himself into the position that he wanted. And then, you know, just, you know, running and sealing and doing his job early, you know, all the things that you teach uh, bigs to do, he was doing it out there tonight. So, um, and the one thing I'll be critical about Gonzaga is that just like Creighton, they're not an incredibly deep team. They really only go about seven deep if you really pay attention to the box score. So I believe that that was actually going to be one of the, um, you know, storylines for this game. Crane's top seven versus Gonzaga's top seven, who would have the better day. Um, it, it didn't work out that way for our boys, obviously. But if a team that can go like eight, nine deep and, and can really trust those eight, nine guys can get after them and really keep pushing the pace and kind of tire Gonzaga out. I would say that is the only thing that I could see uh, that could really be Gonzaga's downfall. It's a team that's willing to go eight, nine deep that could really keep that decide to keep pushing the ball in transition and perhaps tire them out down the stretch. Because like I said, they only really go about seven deep, uh, eight if they feel pretty comfortable. And then obviously near the end of the game, both Few and McDermott kind of just washed their hands of it and, and threw in the sub. So uh, that is, I guess, we, the only critique that I have against Zach, but that's that's a really good team on the other side of that floor. And they, they really showed it today. Yeah, I think tell, I think calling them seven deep is generous. Like they really only go six. Like, uh, but you're, you're so right though, because the way that that ball movement 
it's just never wasted, right? It, it's always with a purpose. They're trying to create bad matchups. They're trying to trying to get you scrambling, and nothing does that better than ball movement. And it's not just that it moves; it's that they're so good at passing. Like the passes are always crisp. Mm-hmm. They're always on target. They're not. They're not like they're not chasing it and tripping over it and like having to reset their offense or like they, they everything they're like a step ahead of you every single time. And that's, it's, that's the most impressive part to me is that some teams, I think whenever I would, whenever I would think of like a suffocating team, like back in my, you know, when I was a kid and stuff, I would always think defensively, like they just don't let you breathe. Um, they don't make anything easy for you. Gonzaga does that in a different way because they're so relentless and uh, fundamentally sound on offense and the pace they come at you with. That's, that's the suffocating part is because you're, you're under so much pressure to be at your best offensively, to make sure you're taking the right shots, to make sure you're making the right reads, um, to make sure you're not turning the ball over and letting them get easy runouts to make sure you're not taking bad shots that lead to long rebounds that they can catch and they're, you know, two or three dribbles away from the rim already. Like that type of stuff is, is daunting when you think about it because offensively you just want to be freed up to do whatever you want. But Gonzaga makes sure you better be checking all the boxes offensively to make sure what you're doing is as effective as possible because they make you pay for your mistakes offensively. Like if you take bad shots, if you turn the ball, if you don't uh, move the ball, if you don't get it inside and kick in and, and spray it, um, because of how quickly they can make you pay for that, that that's the smothering part of what they do. It's not, it's not the most, the most physically imposing defense in the world, but because of what they come back at you with, it makes that end of the floor a whole lot harder than it probably seems like it will be going into the just matchup based. When that ball is buzzing, man, it could really tie for a team out as well because your head is just always on a swivel. You never know when you attack where the point of the attack is going to come from. And I think both teams kind of have uh, similar offensive philosophies where they don't really run sets unless it's out of timeouts or dead ball situations. Coach Mack and Coach Few both trust their guards to put their guys in the right spot and just let the ball zoom around. And, and you know, he trusts that the players are intelligent enough and unselfish enough to make the right decisions, right? I thought Coach Few, obviously coaching up his team, the point that he has so far this season, has done a masterful job of making the guys recognize what their strengths and weaknesses are. And they play literally straight up to their strengths all the time. Rarely do you see, like, even a guy like, uh, uh, I'm butchering his, Ayayi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he doesn't come off too many ball screens, right? But he's always facing the floor. If he's not catching and shooting right away or catching and attacking right away, He's got one-two dribble, and he's looking for the next pass. He's not holding on to the ball, trying to look for himself. So, uh, yeah, those, those guys are just a well-oiled machine offensively, especially. And when that ball's just moving around like that, the defense is going to tire out eventually. They're just going to give in. So um, I, I, I talked about, you know, Gonzaga's depth being kind of their uh, – potentially could be their downfall later on as the tournament wears on. But also if you could find a team that is really athletic, let's say – like USC, you know, if, if a team like USC is able to get past Oregon um, and, and they face them in the next round, a team like that, I could also see a, a, just an uber athletic team that could really get into you defensively and pressure the ball like USC does. A team like that, I think, can also get Gonzaga, but it, it's a tough ask because of how intelligent, how unselfish, how tough 
that Gonzaga is that Gonzaga team is um, coached by Coach Few. Yeah, I love that you brought up Ayayi too because honestly, him and Nemhard remind reminded me of you and Grant. Like, I, you know, they're not you. You don't think of like when you watched your guys' teams, you weren't like you probably weren't putting uh, yourself and Grant at the top of the scouting report. You know, it was always like Doug and Ethan first. Or even with uh, when you guys had Echenique, it was like how we how do we handle this big man in the middle here? Um, but Jolie I like does so many things that nobody else on the floor is just willing to do, and it seems like he enjoys doing them. Like he's the energy guy, but also you can't leave him out there because he's a forty percent three point shooter. Like if you go under screens, he'll make you pay for that. Um, so as much energy as he brings, he's also like he also has that chip on his shoulder where he almost is like. How dare you give me this much space? I'm gonna make you eat a three right here for this. And then and then Nemhard, like he's just he was so surgical today, so smart with his decisions. Um, he was opportunistic when he when he had open looks, he didn't force anything. It just reminded me of like you and Grant at your best there a little bit. Like obviously Nemhard's a little bit more a little bit more bouncier than Grant was at the end of the road, but uh you know, injuries notwithstanding. So, but I mean, I just felt like right. when, when you're trying to piece a, together a great team, you need to link it with those guys who will do things that just, you know, don't always like show itself up in a stat sheet in terms of how it was done. Right. They might put up numbers, but how they do it is different than anybody else on the floor. And I think that's what links them links those talented pieces like Timmy Kispert Suggs together to make them a great team because they'll do the non-negotiables like without question. That's interesting that you say that. Speaking of Grant, uh, I wonder how he felt watching today's game. <laughs> was it was it a little bittersweet watching his two perfect schools going at it? Like uh, obviously yeah, he's sure. a Blue Jay through and through, but like does he kind of is he a little bit happy perhaps that Gonzaga went through as well? Like probably. I probably I like to get his yeah. take. I like to get his take on it because I know that like he didn't leave. Zaga because of you know hard feelings or anything like that I think his injuries and stuff like that just had him wanting another opportunity I don't think him and coach few ever like butted heads in the way so I know he definitely respects coach few too so is he happy that you know Gonzaga is moving on I, I really wonder I'd love to get his take on you know what what he thought of today so I'm sure if they win or if they win the natty this year he'll claim it right like you're, he's he's that's that's his former squad a little bit yeah He'll he'll wink. He'll wink yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like it's a, it's a it's okay. I think I'll allow that. That's fine. Like you know, it's not where uh-huh. you end. It's part of your whole journey, not just the not just where you ended it. Right. I respect right. it. Uh, let's tap into uh, let's tap into questions a little bit here because I think we got quite a bit of them. So let's see if we can. We got quite a bit. The second that you tagged me, my phone just started buzzing immediately. So <laughs> we damn. have a lot of questions that we have to get to, and some really interesting ones too. So yeah, um, yeah let, let's get into it for sure. Um, let's see. Um, so Bobby Bancroft wants to know: do, do you think any seniors might stay? That's that's honestly been the the one thing I've thought about a lot lately. Is like which one of these guys, like, would take advantage of it? I just don't know if any of them are are like seem to be in that part of their lives. Like I think they were like, let's mm-hmm. this is the run we're going to capitalize on, and then that part of my journey is over essentially. Like I think they all kind of it. It's just me from the uh, from the thirty thousand foot read. Like I'm not trying to put anybody. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I know one way or the other because I don't. I really don't. Um, 
but it just seemed like they were investing all of their energy towards this run this season and that they were going to live with whatever happened and be at peace with it. And I think they're, you know, I mean, Damian Jefferson's, uh, you know, in year five now, he's had the sit out year already. Same with Denzel, mm-hmm. um, you know, and Mitch has been playing 40 minutes a game for four years. Pretty <laughs> much. So like that's yeah. a, lot, a lot to invest. And I just don't know if, uh, if coming back is, has as much benefits as, as moving forward does. Cause honestly they made history. There's nothing to be, as much as this today stings right now, like in 24 hours or 48 hours or however long it takes for them usually to get over losses, I think they're going to enjoy this season. And I think it's going to be a high note for them that they feel like they can be at peace with ending on that note. Now that's kind of the way I've um, assessed it. I don't think I would be surprised if any of them came back. Cause I think they ended the way they wanted to. That's actually a question I've been asked quite often this year, obviously on my podcast, on my side of things too, is just which players do you think would take advantage of this COVID year, uh, so to speak, to come back? Uh, and honestly, the way, like, like even from the very beginning of the season, uh, when it was first introduced that, you know, this wouldn't necessarily count as a year of eligibility towards the players who would like to uh, remain in college. I thought about the fact that Denzel and DJ both kind of, dip the toe into the NBA waters and then try to see what that market was going to look like for them last year uh, after coming off that historical first uh, share of the Big East regular season championship for the Jays. So for them co- to come back this year, I just thought that from the very beginning, like you just said, like their mindset was already like, this is it. Like we are gearing up for this last run and we're going to give it everything that we got. And we're just going to let the chips fall where they may. And this is a historic team. Uh, tonight is not the night that we're going to necessarily celebrate them, but we are going to look back and we're going to look at this particular year's team uh, in, in awe uh, with, with a bunch of, uh, uh, we're going to be at peace with what they've done because they brought cranes, crane to new levels that we've never experienced before. So like me from the outside looking in, I, I could definitely see all of them being like, you know what, this is my career. And then the other thing that, we have to think about this year has been an insane year for all of them. COVID notwithstanding, but also with, you know, the comments that Coach Mack made that he's been working to rectify uh, the whole situation surrounding COVID, the inability to like be in class or to be around friends and family and, and teammates, even when you're not practicing and all that stuff. We talked about uh, if you talk to the current Jays who are on the court right now, they talked about like how tough it was to even kind of jail at the beginning of the season because like they were literally getting to know each other again because they had to stay separated all, the whole year. This this is a year that we're not going to know, you know, the uh, lasting impact that it's going to have until a few years down the line. And, you know, we'll have to revisit with some of those guys and really get their, their thoughts and ideas of, you know, how this year was. Obviously, you know, time heals everything and, and retrospect is something that we all look back to fondly. So I'd love to get DJ, you know, Mitch's take in a couple of years. So like, really, like, how was that year for you for them to really give us the true story? Uh, once they've had some time to like di- sit down and digest it all, uh, you know, what their thoughts were about this year. But man, those guys, it, it is my opinion that they should move on. They, they've earned that right, obviously. Uh, I don't think any of them uh, would want to come back. I think the one person who would do it, surprisingly, you mentioned him playing 40 minutes for the last three or so years. I think Mitch 
thoroughly enjoys the game of college basketball. So yeah. he would be the guy that I think would want to come back um, and, and give it one more run. But uh, I mean, even for him, I think it, it's a tall ask. And um, I, I just don't think it's in his future for him to, to stay on campus for another year. Yeah, and even and honestly, it's it's because of the way he's embedded himself into the Creighton community from the start. Like, mm-hmm. I I could definitely see Mitch coming back in a different role later mm-hmm. on down the road. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. So yeah, I think I think that's why I agree with you that Mitch, if I were picking, um, if I were picking like laying odds in terms of who's coming back, it would I would probably favor Mitch because he's embedded himself into every bit of this beyond just basketball. So. Yeah. Um, he he is like a Cretonian, like yes. legitimately through and through. I I see myself that way too, where like yeah. I just I enjoyed my time there so much that I keep coming back. I keep meeting new people and and reconnecting with old faces and all that stuff. I I see Mitch doing that too, like literally always being in and around Omaha, always being in and around Nebraska, even though he's a Kansas kid. Uh, he's just always going to be he he's he's part of the fabric that has made the program what it is. So. He, he's just one of those guys, man, like everyone speaks so like overwhelmingly of him, uh, of how great of a person he is, how unselfish, how, you know, yeah, he, he's just, he's ingrained himself into the mini society that Creighton is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's been such a good representative of the university and all, what we all kind of aspire to be, obviously as student athletes, but as people as well. For sure. 100% agreed. Um, our next question is, do you think, Excuse me. I had to burp a beer burp there. You had a beer burp yet? <laughs> nice. No, not yet. I've been doing kind of under my breath so far. Gotcha. <laughs> Sometimes it comes back up. Uh, the next question is, do you think some players may transfer or um, do you think Creighton will struggle to get transfers because of max comments? Um, that's a good question too. I don't know because I don't really know. The part that's been tough about this year is you don't really get a whole lot of insight into what they're the players' mindset. So you don't really know how deep that that uh, incident in the locker room hurt them. And if 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 this part of it, the season was just kind of um, kind of a therapy for them, where they could just kind of put it in the, on the back burner and not have to not have to deal with how they felt about it until the season's over, essentially. So I think there is an element of of uncertainty there for sure. Um, so if I think if guys did leave because of it, if they just don't feel that comfortable in this situation anymore, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I also don't know because I don't know how they're actually how they're actually processing that. Because when it happened, their next game was against Villanova for the Big East title. Then they had to come back for Senior Day, and then they had the Big East tournament and the tournament. They didn't really have a whole lot of time to just sit with yeah. their own thoughts and think about it and talk to their loved ones and all that kind of stuff. So. I don't really know how much they've they've uh, they've come on the other end of that yet, so we'll have to see. Um, in terms of bringing players in, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's going to stick there a little bit, you know, maybe in some situations. But I think the way Mac has kind of not really run from it will be something that resonates a little bit in recruiting. I think. Because I think he, I mean, he's just open about the fact that he made a mistake and he's open about the fact that he needs to be better from it. And I think in recruiting, people appreciate that kind of, that level of honesty if you're going to give it to them. You know what I mean? Like so much about recruiting is so underhanded. 
um, promising things that can't be delivered, all that kind of stuff. I think if, you know, in recruiting, if, if, if it's going to hurt you, it would hurt you if, if you weren't fully embracing it or if you were kind of running from it or if you were kind of acting like it's not that big of a deal, but it seems like he's, he's carrying the weight of his own comments and his own decision-making there. I don't think he's running from it. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see, but I don't think it's going to hurt him in recruiting. Like it could have, if you were like, if you had done the Greg Marshall thing where you just basically said, none of that shit is true. It's all lies. Like I'm not admitting to crap. Like I'm hiring lawyers. We're fighting this. Like if you had been, if he had like, kind of stuck out his chest and said no that's not me i didn't do that crap they're lying about me if that had been a thing then it goes then i think it goes sideways with if you're still the head coach there but mac has kind of you know confronted it you know what i mean and and honestly if you're confronting your own imperfections i think that will resonate in terms of your 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 step forward so uh, i don't see it i don't see it having as big of an effect as i might have when it first came out so I don't know what you think, though. That was kind of a loaded question. It, answer my bad. So no, no, you're good by all means. I mean, it's it's your show. I'm just a guest on your show. Go speak as much as you want. No, no but I will say this though about your point about it being such a quick turnaround from the time where Coach Mack made those statements, uh, came forward about them, um, and and from the time that, like you said, they had to play Villanova and come back for senior night and then get ready for Big East tournament and then now you know, the run that they just made in the NCAA tournament. So I think these next two, three weeks are, are really going to give us some better insight as to what the players' mindsets are. And then also the other part, you know, as just a, a fan watching from afar, uh, the stories that I would hear on a yearly basis, like guys like yourself who are at practice every day and who are able to kind of read the energy in a room and be able to report on it, ask the right questions and get different insights from that standpoint as well. I think the fans have been kind of, you know, ripped away from that side due to COVID this year. So it's a little bit hard to kind of be able to tell that particular story as we would in, in a normal year if something like this happened. Uh, so there's just still so much that we don't know as far as like the player's perspective on everything that went down. You know, from from the outside looking in, it, it looks like they've done some things to mend some of those fences, at least for the short run, because they understood the importance of the games that they had coming up and and what it means for everybody in the program, obviously, individually and collectively as a team. But we still need to allow a little bit more time for all of this to, you know, settle down a little bit to really get everybody's true feelings out there for Coach Mack to you know, continue to do the work that he's, he's started on, on this journey to rectify the situation and rectify his words. And, you know, just speaking from a more personal note, understanding the person that Coach Mack is, I know that undoubtedly he is going to put in the effort uh, to, to put in that work, to, to build the trust that he's lost and all that stuff. I know that he's already, all, uh, you know, stepping in the right direction when it comes to that. But as far as like high schoolers and, and let's call it either JUCO transfers or college transfers who are looking at Crane as an option, mm -hmm. that, that is a little bit too above my pay grade for me to kind of right. imagine, you know, what their thought processes are, you know, on that particular subject. Um, but we are going to find out in the next couple of weeks once, you know, the this team need, is, needs to be celebrated for what they did, obviously. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of sucks that, you know, Coach Mack's statements and all that stuff is still kind of be, you know, a, a talking point in the next little while, because I do believe that we have to give this team their flowers for everything that they've accomplished through yeah, everything this year. Right. Um, but 
it's still, you know, it's still going to be one of those things that that is is going to sting for for a little while longer. Um, and, and we're going to really know the real story, you know, as as these weeks go by and, you know, guys are able to express themselves a little bit more. And like I said, as Coach Mack continues to, you know, rebuild the trust and uh, the the respect and, and everything, you know, that he may have lost with those statements. Yeah, I appreciate your insight on that, too, because not only that's the other part of it that doesn't maybe get talked about a whole lot is <clears throat> I, I know just from these all these post games and everything in the conversation since those comments, everybody's kind of been asking about um, how the current players are handling it. And no one's really I don't know. I don't think people are quite understanding how hurtful it was to former players as well. So that's kind of why I appreciate your insight there, because it's not just about how it affects the future of Creighton basketball like. Creighton basketball will be fine, right? As long as it has um, like the athletic support behind it, like the university support behind it, Creighton basketball will be fine. You got to heal the, you got to heal your relationships with people that you've already forged. So it's current players, former players, everybody who was hurt by that. You know what I mean? So that's why it's a tough question to answer because you don't know how everybody processes it. And everybody is entitled to process it their own certain way. So it's not like you find like, this is how you should handle this. There isn't a right way to do that. You all got to handle it your own certain way. Um, so I appreciate how outspoken you've been, mm-hmm. you know, just with your own feelings. Cause that's, that can't be easy to talk about that type of stuff, especially with the relationship you have with Mac um, and the relationship you have with Creighton. Cause you, you know, they would collide there. Um, that's not easy to talk about. So I think we got to give these players a little bit, of space here because they were in the heat of it when it happened. They didn't just get to sit down and think about how they felt about it. Cause they had to also prepare for an opponent that wanted to kick their teeth in as well. So um, that's the tough part about this. And I think, uh, you know, we'll get those answers down the line and it's not, um, we're not doing them a service by price speculating how, how certain uh, how, how some of them may feel versus others. So we'll just give them space yeah. and let them, let them think about it. But one last thing for me, just on the subject, you talk about like how difficult perhaps it might have been for me to speak out on this. I, absolutely, because like I like I said, I, I said it in my senior year speech about how I felt about Coach Mack and that entire coaching stuff. Those are guys that I really looked up to. And then it's not even only about just my personal relationship with Coach Mack, but it's also like my relationship with Doug, with Nick. I, I really yeah. got ingrained with that whole family tree said like those people, I, I literally consider that McDermott family like a, a second family of mine. Um, because of just how close we we are now we were how close we still are to this day so uh, I've been fortunate to you know get a hold of coach Mack and and him reaching out to me as well we've had a few conversations about you know everything that went down and and his feelings on it and and like I said that's why I know honestly like like deep down in my heart that he's going to put in the work he's going to continue to put in the work to, to mend those fences and at this point, we just kind of have to let, uh, just sit back and, and see, you know, what what he's going to do with that situation. The thing that I like about this situation, I, I don't know if the like is the right word uh, that I'm looking for, but um, it, it's just that Coach Mack, every move that he does is going to be under a magnifying glass for the next little while. And we are actually going to be paying attention to what he does. And in my opinion, there's not a better person that could come back from this than Coach Mack. So, uh, I, I just can't wait to see the way that he's going to be able to uh, 
continue to build those relationships, continue to listen to the players, listen to the community, and just to really like uh, see the ways that he can help affect change and be kind of like, you know, the voice of change, uh, so to speak. And that way, like, we're just continuing to follow his lead the way that we've done all those years. And, you know, a guy like myself, I have his back 100%. For sure. Uh, next question is, uh, do any of the assistants leave? You know, that's always a question that I think is interesting every year because, you know, yeah. uh, you know, D-Rock felt like for, for like 10 years, he had a head coaching job, like whatever he wanted, you know what I mean? It was just like mm-hmm. all about when he would pull the trigger or when some team would finally come to him with a serious offer. Uh, but there are some good coaches on the staff. I think, you know, Paul Lusk has certainly done a really good job coming out of that Missouri State situation, and I think he's earned himself another another head coaching gig. I think, you know, Al Huss was the guy who stepped in on the interim basis for Mac during the suspension, and he's been learning the offense under Mac, and he's obviously – been recruiting at a really high level because he's been bringing in yeah, he's a very personable guy yeah. I, I love i love him so much alan huss like whenever I, I get back to campus he just literally like goes at me right away he's a very personable guy and like i didn't play under him but i could see that the players love to play uh the same way that i love to play for Rock. he wasn't the head coach but because it's a guy that like him and I really connected and he could get at me on a personal level and then help me get better as a player and as a person. Those players kind of feel the same way about us, in my opinion. And uh, like, I shout out to, you know, Coach Zierd and Isaiah's father, Donald. He kind of talked to me about like the carousel of coaching, how it's just like, it just literally continuously spins around. It, it, that's in the NBA and in, in the NCAA as well. Um, it really depends on the ambitions of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. You know, if guys like feel like they've done enough at this point and if they want to really try to put themselves out there to either get a head coaching job or maybe get an assistant coaching job uh, elsewhere. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but I mean, it's such a talented coaching staff as well. Like yeah. those guys know their basketball. They know how to put in that work. They know how to recruit. Uh, they've been around the block uh, like many times. Uh, so it really kind of depends on their ambition at this point of their career. Uh, and I guess we'll just have to to take it from there. Yeah. I think, I think the best response we can probably give right now is that one or two of those guys have earned an opportunity at least, right? Oh, at least one or two, like perhaps even three, like legitimately. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I mean, we will see. It's, it's going to be interesting because like, like when I remember when I found out about D-Rock and that head coaching job, I was so sad, but so happy at the same time. I didn't know right. how to take it. And you look a couple of years down the line, D-Rock's already won two Missouri Valley head coach of the year. Uh, he just brought his team to the NCAA tournament. They just won a game for the first time in however long. And yeah. then it's like those guys deserve, so they deserve those types of opportunities. So, you know, and when they get it, they're going to run with it because we know the fabric of which they come from. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what those guys' decisions going to be. For sure. Um, next question is, uh, does Creighton retain the rest of their recruits and then odds on McDermott testing the waters? I I don't know if they uh... – yeah, we've kind of talked about the recruits a little bit already. Um, <laughs> do they Are they asking if Mac is going to – like? I, I think that's what they're asking. If they, mean they mean Zagorowski there? Like they, they, didn't mean, they didn't mean Mac, did they? I would I would be shocked think, if Mac tries to leave yeah. right under these current circumstances. I think he's I think he's got uh what's the best way to put this? Like 
I think he has a directive from himself to make sure he, 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 you know, mends a lot of these fences and, and, and creates the, uh, you know, creates the culture he's been talking about for all these years. Like if, if he, if he were to leave, it would almost be like that was all lip service from him at that point. You know what I mean? So if he, if I think he's going to stick around and try to make um, the community understand how invested he truly is in terms of making this better. So I don't see Mac leaving at all or even considering it. I'd be shocked. I thought when Ohio state came hollering, that was our closest chance to lose sure. Mac as far as another school luring him away. Uh, I think Coach Mack right now, it's his, it's his job to, to have for as long as he wants it, in my opinion. I think he's obviously for the last decade, he's done such great things to, to bring the current uh, culture and, and community forward. You know, like, and I know that him and Raz have, a, have an amazing relationship as well. So, like, I, I don't necessarily see him just packing up his bags and leaving. Like, I would be in the same boat as you. I would just be shocked as hell if that's the decision that he, he takes. Um, so yeah, no, I think Coach Mack is ten toes down on this one. I I, I don't yeah. think he's leaving campus anytime soon. Hundred percent, I totally agree with you. Um, let's see, any names in the transfer portal that jump transfer portal that jump out at you? I don't honestly, I haven't really looked at the transfer portal yet. Have you seen it? I don't even like. I've been yeah. like, I've been that, embedded in the current season. I'm sorry, I cannot answer that question. <laughs> Next question, please. I, that's really there's gonna I, be I there's gonna be a lot of them. There's gonna be a lot of players in the transfer portal. So there's gonna be a lot of good Man. players that I'm like, yeah, any one of those kids will be good at Creighton, sure. It it is ridiculous how every year the NCAA sets records for new transfers entering the transfer portal. Like it, yeah. like I remember when I was in school, it, like there, I think it was like 200 some players were entering it and people were like well whoa like this is crazy it's an unreal surge you look back 10 years later and it's like 400 some kids are trying to leave from one school and go to another one so yeah that's that's just it's too many names and too many right. kids that we don't really know uh to, to kind of answer that question right I now know. i do enjoy <laughs> how like every time someone does like someone's name pops up in the transfer portal you're like the questions are flying in your message like oh would he fit at creighton i'm like I mean, sure, yeah. he's a three-point shooter, like he's, he's six foot six, like yeah, sure. But it's not like I, it's not like you just go pluck these people. Like you're a Creighton now, you're a Creighton now. It's not like mm-hmm. first come first serve. There still has to be a recruitment process, so which cracks me up though. Uh, I always felt like the transfer portal uh, for college. I always felt like it kind of mirrored the uh, buyout market or the trade deadline for the NBA. It's like we have such high hopes for like all the like oh like where could he end up blah blah blah. blah. But then, like when you really look in the grand scheme of things, for those schools who have their like their their uh, their unit already set, where like yeah. the the culture is already set in, all you're really looking to do is just to plug in a guy that's going to continue that culture moving forward, right? right. Like it's rare to see a transfer come in and blow up the spot tremendously, unless we talk about the situation kind of like Denzel, where he's just obviously he was a much better player than what he was at or you know that SIU Edwardsville. You know, like he just had so much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just had so much more to give than than like a low division one like that, where he Mm -hmm. just saw himself as a better player. So like, unless it's somebody like that, uh, then transfer guys, you're just looking for someone who could really fit the culture that you've already established. If you go out there and you try to get somebody that's gonna want to do it all themselves and and they're 
gonna kind of be like a one-man wrecking crew like you rarely get that kind of person out of like the transfers unless it's it's a junior college guy or something like that so yeah it's it's kind of like the nba trade deadline buyout market for me where i kind of pay attention to it but like realistically those guys aren't necessarily like changing the fate of the team and the culture that you've built already yeah for sure Honestly, I think you've done I think you've done a poor job in recruiting high schoolers if you're trying to find those type of answers in the transfer market, in my opinion. So yeah. I don't think Creighton's done a, I don't think Creighton's done a poor job in recruiting high schoolers. So like I think the guys that they have signed up are are gonna be the ones who continue on what they've kind of and built. I also think that Coach Mack has gone the right types of transfers so far. Um, yeah, like like Denzel and, and uh, Damian Jefferson have, have fit in like it's been like a hand in glove fit with the way that they've transferred into Crane. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to see Antoine and see his development throughout the summer as he gets a little bit more acclimated with the system, obviously, and, and a little bit more is going to be placed on his shoulders if he's able to develop to the level that you know Damian and Denzel have been uh, able to to uh, become a leader, perhaps one of these days himself. So. I think like the the coaches have their hands full when it comes to that stuff. Um, we just have to kind of wait and see how it's going to play out. But uh, like, it's just it's too many names to kind of pinpoint which guy I would like to see in a Jays uniform. <laughs> yeah, it's too sure. much. Too many. <laughs> um, this is from Jacob Badilla. This is about the game itself, I guess. So, what parts <laughs> of the game plan did you like and think that they executed really well? What areas? Um, do they fall short in that ultimately cost them when the the chance to keep it close? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. You want to try the one of them first? Uh, uh, I will say we talked about it a little bit too earlier. Uh, they got some good looks at the rim. They just weren't able to complete them. Um, I w- would like to see a little bit more, you know, back to the basket stuff for Damian and for Denzel that, that we saw. I thought that they had not only like a, either a slight height advantage, but definitely as far as like weight and being able to move their guys around, I thought they definitely had an advantage that is not a matchup that uh, Crane um, took advantage of as much as I believe they should have for this particular game. Um, but I mean, geez, Marcus got off to such a good start that you just had high hopes, especially after being down nine two to start to kind of climb back down. And, and, you know, I think they were down two for, for a little while before, or Gonzaga was able to expand it as Bishop went to the bench to a 10-point game. So I thought that the game plan was was pretty decent. Um, there's only so much that you can do with such, against such a well-disciplined team. You just have to kind of let the chips fall where they may uh, as you just kind of put your best plan forward. Um, I thought the boys looked good. They just they missed some shots that you would think that they would make. And then, yeah. you know, as the game kind of unraveled in the end, when I realized, oh, this is kind of game over, uh, was when I saw that some of the, you know, like some of those Jays, some of the stuff that the Jays do so well, as far as just simply passing the basketball around the perimeter, that was kind of being taken away from them. I was just like, oof, Gonzaga is just really locked in right now. So today, as much as like I hate to admit it, it was just one of those circumstances where just the better team won. Yeah. And that, that that's kind of what it is. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to process a couple things here. I don't know <clears throat> if the results change because of them, but one thing offensively was I didn't feel like they got Marcus in enough ball screens. I thought he had to work. I thought he was working really hard to get his offense in the first half. So I don't, I think that might've got into his legs as the game went on because 
he was more efficient earlier than he was late. Um, so I think that that maybe from an offensive standpoint, not getting him because Jalen Suggs was putting a lot of pressure on him and, and making him kind of slow up his, you know, where he was reading the offense from. It was a little bit further out on the court. It was like at 35, 35 feet when normally it's around 25, 30. Uh, so I think just Jalen Suggs' pressure, just picking up Marcus a little bit earlier um, in the quarter court and not letting him get, you know, to the perimeter, to the actual arc, and not getting him in enough ball screens probably made him work a little harder than Creighton would like him to as much for his offense. Um, and that might have eaten into his legs a little bit in the second half. So that was one thing offensively that I feel like maybe a tweak there changes, alters something. Um, and then I think going under ball screens on um, Joel Yai, because like I said, when I talked about the comparison to you earlier, like you made teams pay for that your whole career. They're like, man, Doug and Ethan are so good. We have to, we have to focus so much attention on them. Like, you know, give, give Jens the driver. Don't give him space or give him space on the perimeter to let him shoot. And you could make people pay for that. And Joel Yai made Creighton pay for that early. He hit two in a row early in the game to get himself going that's big for Gonzaga because if he's going before like Kispert and Suggs and Timmy, then you're just like in panic mode essentially because you're like, who do we leave out here? You know, if we can't, if we're if we're at matchup disadvantages, we're three of these guys, and the other two are killing us, and Nemhard and Ayayi. I mean, we basically have to just score a hundred points today because that's that's it's not going to be it's not going to work this the plan. So I think going under those ball screens, mm-hmm. letting Ayayi get 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 flowing. Um, probably came back to bite them a little bit. But, again, that's what Gonzaga forces you to do also. Like, you have to take some gambles. You, you got to make a decision. You yeah. have to. You got to make a decision, and it's going to be a tough one. And uh, it's a gamble. That That's really what it is against Gonzaga is every decision on which guy are we going to allow or not that we're going to allow necessarily, but that we're going to live with their offensive production today. It's a gamble all around because those top seven guys that they play, they can all make the right decisions. They could all get to the hoop. They could all shoot for the most part. And, and they all play unselfishly. Uh, that That's, you know, like that doesn't need to be spoken about. So, um, yeah, it's just they're, they're a really good team. Uh, obviously, their record speaks uh, – it, it speaks for itself, their record does. But they're just a really well-coached team. And, you know, it's no surprise that, you know, with the talent that Coach Few has this year, this is what that team is going to look like because we all know Gonzaga to be this just great culture where they play the right way at all times and they're disciplined and they're going to do the right things. So now that he has those talented guys and those veteran guys, those experienced guys, along with a freshman stud, it's no wonder that they look as good as they do. And, and they're going to be a tough out for whoever as the, continue, as the tournament continues on. Yeah, I know people do – get a little bit frustrated with the percentages, like the the analytical part of the game, but you have to play percentages um, when you're defending in basketball now, because you can't just, you can't just line up five on five and say, check up. Like it's not, you're going to get eaten alive. Yeah. They're, they're, the offensive. It's not, that, it's not that type of game anymore. No, <laughs> you have to be connected and you have to have a plan that you're going to like, mm-hmm. oh, we're taking away this. We're loading to that side. We're going to, we're going to put pressure on this uh, part of their offense. And we're going to let, like this, we're going to lack slack off on this part of it. Cause we think we don't think that side can beat us as easily as the other side can. If you just check up and man up, like you're going to, everyone's going to kill you. Like they're just going to take turns. You know what I'm saying? So it's over. 
Like that whole like buck yeah, up, so man up stuff, like it's gone. Like you have yeah. to be, you have to scheme, you have to play percentages. Um, you have to be intelligent with the way you play defense now because you can't just do it physically anymore. You're going to get eaten alive. You will. I, I was watching a lot of NBA TV classic games as the pandemic first started last year when I first got back home from Hungary. I'm looking at some of these games from the late 80s, early 90s and stuff like that. And like, if you really take time to go back and admire what the game looks like then and what it looked and like, obviously the NBA restarted in the bubble and that stuff. And then I just saw the pace of play. Like it was just such an eye-opening experience because like you actually yeah. have to like take yourself back from it a little bit and kind of realize what it looks like before to what it looks like now. There's no way in the world that you could just, like you just said, check up, man up, everybody just kind of guard your mark and then that's it, that's all. Like right. everybody's way too skilled now, even at the college level, everybody's way too skilled now and they can do too many things because these kids are playing basketball at, at an earlier and earlier and earlier age. And you can see that development, you know, how far it gets them even at the college level. So uh, Gonzaga with the talent and the coaching that they have, uh, they'll just make anybody pay with whatever percentage you choose to kind of, you know, take away or, or play to, they're going to find an answer to that. And, and they're going to rely on that and, and trust their, themselves and their system that is going to prevail for them. I've never seen so much zone in the NBA in my life than I have recently. Like if, if NBA teams aren't doing it, like what are yeah. like, you got exactly. You yeah. gotta, you gotta be creative on defense now. So yeah, mm -hmm. you, you gotta live with percentages sometimes. Um, let's see. Next question. Uh, is this as far as Mac and let it fly can take Creighton? No. Yeah, I think that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Next question. Look, whoever asked that question, I'm sorry to dismiss it so uh, strongly, but no, the, the boys can go further than this. I, I have full up, I have full trust in that. Next question. Come on now. Come on. Notice, how I, did, gonna, notice, how, notice how I just threw that at you and just like got out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't understand. I, here, here, like, let's just let's just let's just layer it out for a little bit. Let's just humor this person. Um, why would you think that this style of basketball is not conducive to success? Like, what's the What's the inherent Achilles heel in playing fast, being really good at shooting threes, defending based on scouting report tendencies? Like what's what's the what's the inherent Achilles heel that like has a limitation? Like I think that's the way you need to play. Did you watch Gonzaga today? They did what Creighton does only absurdly better. Like that's Thank you. Thank you. I was literally about to say the exact same thing. Like if anybody watched that game today, it was too similarly offensive-minded head coaches yeah. going at it. That's yeah. what it was. And, like, it got him to the Sweet 16, a, uh, a spot that Korean has never been to before since they changed the name. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it works. The, last year, they won the best share of the Big East regular season championship with it. Who knows how far that team could have gone. Let's right. say we have we plug in Tyshawn to this year's team. Oh. Do, oh. do you not think that that team has that's, that's exactly the team that they had last year they don't so, lose a game there's not a team on the schedule that beats them this year except for today maybe it, if Tyshawn's it, back. It, like there's there isn't one they haven't played anybody that was next, um, next, Matt next question brother <laughs> come on now you're, you're making my head hurt this one like I again that, to, that who, might to be that might be asked. the booze too though like that's <laughs> yeah 
to whomever asked that question, a much love. I appreciate you for sure. But next question. Come on. No slander. No slander on the let it fly mantra. Uh, it has gone us so far and it has really shaped the culture. Uh, it, it brought us from the Valley to Big East. It brought us from being a contenting, a contenting Big East team to a Big East championship caliber team mm-hmm. to a Big East runner-up championship team. Like, <laughs> Did you guys took let it fly from now. the valley and nearly won a ship like in the Big East in your it, first year? It, in the first year, first and year. we had we had yeah. to contact Mike Miller and his group of guys in order to get the <laughs> let it fly copyright. So we're not letting go of it now. No, That's, I can tell you that much. <laughs> God, I'm cracking up. I love this question though. I'm so glad I got a player on to hear that question. But yeah. <laughs> no, no, keep letting it fly for the love of God. Please do not bring in a grinder. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch rock fights 30 games a year. Please. No. Oh, my God. 40 minutes of hell. Could you imagine that? Oh, in the white and blue? Jesus. Oh, man. Just imagine if, like, they came in and started playing, like, Providence. Like, I would just be miserable, man. Like, you just 20 offensive and, rebounds a game. Look, no, hey. 20 offensive boards. No one can shoot. It's like, God, st- no. We don't have to play hey. that way. And, look, I, I love Coach Cooley. I'm a huge fan of Coach Cooley. That style works for him, and that's what they do. But that's not us, and that's not what we do. And yeah. we need to keep doing us and doing what we do. What do they say? That there's more than one way to skin a cat. Is that the saying? Right? Is that like uh, know, absolutely? Let's just, yeah. Let's just keep. Let's just keep and let's just and keep our going. way, our way is entertaining and allows yeah. eighteen thousand fans at Shy Health Center. I keep saying CenturyLink at Shy Health Center <laughs> to enjoy the game. So. Right. Yeah. It's about the experience as much as it is the success. The success is obvious, but the experience too mm-hmm. is important um let's see uh favorite moment from the season outside of the ohio win that's a good question oh that is a good question i I really like that question because it forces us to reflect at a time where we don't necessarily want to reflect right now (laughs) like i said that was a very celebratory mood i'm wearing blue i i I still got a blueberry cheesecake in the fridge that I'm gonna eat. Are you gonna eat that whole thing tonight? Are you gonna like eat eat your feelings? No, not the whole thing. No, not not the whole thing. I'm definitely gonna have a slice because cheesecake is my favorite cake. Uh, Like I'm a sucker for a cheesecake factory, not because I think that the food is awesome there, but just because I do like their slices of cheesecake. Um, So that's that's one of the reasons why I I did it. Um, And I thought we were gonna celebrate tonight, but because we didn't, now we kind of have to do a end of season kind of. (laughs) podcast instead which is kind of sad to think about what am i gonna do what am i gonna step at till four o'clock in the morning to watch now i don't know maybe i'll finally get some decent rest but maybe yeah uh favorite moment of the year so far oh i you know what uh i i think it would see mitch making that 300 three-pointer i think it's just such a neat and cool milestone for a guy that deserves it a guy that spent so much to the community and obviously to the culture that crane is uh just so just i think that individual moment uh really kind of sticks out for me because he deserves all the praise he deserves all the roses that he's going to get from all of our fans so um i i guess for an individual i think that would be you know uh, my favorite moment I, I'm sure I could think of a few more. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to kind of, we can go back and forth on this if you want to. Yeah, gosh, there are some tough ones, man. I loved, uh, I definitely loved uh, DJ hitting the game tying shot at the buzzer at UConn. Cause I felt like, yeah, it goes along the same lines of what you just said about Mitch. I felt like DJ put in 
like full, here's here's what here I'm gonna paint this full picture here. I'm gonna try to do it quick. When when Damian Jefferson got to Creighton, he was absolutely miserable. This is this is part of the reason that I think one time transfer should be allowed because that sit out year is horrifying for guys. Like they go through so much mental like anguish, and for him, he couldn't. He was like having a tough time, kind of you know finding his footing. He was he was hurt first of all, so he wasn't practicing. He had the boot on his foot, um, and he wasn't making friends because he like. He couldn't be himself because he wasn't playing. He wasn't building confidence in his game, um, and he didn't really and he didn't really have that type of personality. So, I think Marcus Foster and uh, Kyrie Thomas, like those guys, kind of took him in, you know, um, ingrained him in kind of like uh, the 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 clubhouse, if you will, and let him kind of know that he's like, hey, you don't have to be on the outskirts of this thing. You're a part of this team too, um, even though you're not going to play this year. So, you know, you know feel free to be comfortable. And I think, you know, a conversation with Mac over Christmas was really important. Like this whole career might not have happened. He was like almost on one foot out the door because he was not enjoying it. So I think to see yeah. where he came from, like how much of a struggle that first year at Creighton was to the point where he's the guy that Mac is calling the play for to get this thing to overtime against UConn in the Big East. I'm like, I'm just <laughs> – like that whole full picture blew me away. I'm like, wow. Like, look at what DJ has turned himself into. Just an absolute stud out there. You know what I'm saying? Coming from the guy who almost didn't even get his career off the ground here. Who knows what it would have turned into. So I think that's one moment that I'm going to remember for a long time from this group. Um, and then I think like the other game one. game at home against Villanova. Yeah, that was fun too. Like just going that like cause, that's, cause that's, that's just one of those games that I'm just going to remember because obviously Villanova being the team that they are, uh, Coach Wright just being basically a legend. Um, anytime you do Villanova on the road at home on any given year, that's going to be a game that's going to stick out. But I think it's just kind of like the dominance that the Jays uh, displayed that night. They really controlled the game from tip to finish. Like if you really want to like look at it. Um, so I think like for all of our fans, when, once we saw that game, we were just like, yeah, this, this is the team that could push us past that first weekend. Finally, I think it really just kind of solidified it and, and like made believers out of all of us who, who maybe have some questions about how far they could go because I'm glad that they were able to do it this year and make it to the Sweet 16 because I guess I could finally get this off my chest. It's always felt like there's been a little bit of a black cat walking around campus when it comes to making it to the Sweet 16. And now that we've 100%. done it, I feel like, oh, like we broke through that first glass ceiling. Now that we have that taste, the coaching staff has that taste. Coach Mack, as an individual, finally has that taste, too, of what it what it takes to lead a team there. Um, now we could kind of look and see how we could build from this. You know, it's all building blocks to where you want to get to. Yeah. Ask Coach Few a decade ago if he thought that his team, he'd have like the type of teams that he's had in the last handful of years you know they've made it to back-to-back uh, national championships they lost both of those times if i remember correctly right uh to north carolina and uh they've only made it to one national title they lost to, to one national yeah. title. okay right okay so that's yeah. the one yeah. but like it's like he he's consistently had uh elite eight final four elite eight final four types of teams that's a, that's a gradual step he's reaping yeah. the benefits of the of it now but what says that you know this is not that step that Cray needed to finally like keep that culture moving forward and keep pushing. So like anytime you get wins like that, uh, that solidifies those, those moments are always going to stick out for me. How about, uh, how about um, the game against St. John's when Marcus was the late scratch with the hamstring 
and Sharif mm-hmm. Mitchell comes out and bangs that three from the top of the key right away. Like just to start it yeah, off, like just yeah. like just letting no, everybody know, like, hey, it's all good. I got this. No drop off. Yeah, yeah. no drop off. <laughs> yeah, for real. That was a that that's a moment for mm-hmm. sure. Cause that's like the Omaha kid, like the crowd's probably a little bit anxious, right? Like, oh my God, how are they gonna handle like St. Yeah. John's, a team that plays at a fast pace, scores at will, um, defends you like hell without Marcus. Like, you kidding me? That's a horrible matchup. And Sharif's like, relax, everybody. We're good. Hold, hold my beer. Hold, hold my, my beer. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing about that game. At that time, I believe this to be a trend. Unfortunately for the Jays, it was a blip in the radar. The depth that the Jays showed in that game particularly was incredible. I was like, this team could go nine deep. Alex no O'Connell problem. had like four like, threes. No questions game. asked. It's yeah. fine. That's what I'm saying is like literally like I think from a collective standpoint, that's about as good as the Jays looked all year. That Villanova game included was the game that Marcus wasn't playing. And there was literally no drop off in intensity, uh, uh, communication. Like another thing that I loved about this year, weird to say that. Like I've mentioned it a couple of times, obviously on, on yours, on your podcast, but on mine as well, was to be able to watch the TV games and watch the broadcast and actually hear the communication with the players and the coaches. Yeah. You really get that as a fan. And I got to enjoy that the entire year, obviously in, in a circumstance that we would never want, like no one wanted COVID to happen, but the neat thing about it happening this year is that we actually got to see uh, and, and listen and hear how much communication is involved on literally every trip down the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that game particularly, there was no drop off of that. And that was very interesting to see. Uh, and I think it was a, was it after the Butler game? I'm not sure. Was the Butler game after that? Yeah, the Butler game. Was, um, because Sharif got hurt late in that one. And that was, yeah. So the Butler okay, game right yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, like you just, it was just kind of neat to see like that, or not to see, but to experience that as a fan watching like the TV broadcast and be able to hear the players and hear the communication. That St. John's games is certainly one that sticks out as me uh, at me as one of those games where things weren't going right for the Jays as far as injuries are concerned, but it was no yeah. drop off in play. And at that time, if you put me back in that mind frame, I really believed, whoa, this is a trend. These guys could go nine deep and we could be a really, really good team. Sure. Uh, if somebody doesn't get it going, you could easily find like, like even like Antoine stepped into that game and had a great game as well. So it's like, yeah. Um, unfortunately for the Jays, I was more of a blip on the radar than it was an actual trend. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, that is something that we're not going to struggle with as the years come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite one, I think is the Seton Hall game on the road. Just like watching Marcus and like, yeah. yeah, watching Marcus and Mitch go bang out, bang out, like for the lead and mm-hmm. for the, for the, you know, Marcus gave him the lead with the pull up. And then Mitch got it back for him after you see all tied it with the little quick Hauser. Like <laughs> I love that game, man. That was so much fun to watch him rally from that. Cause you felt like it got to a point where the shots that Bryce Aiken was hitting, I honestly like stopped taking notes. I was like, this one's a wrap. Like <laughs> this one's this one's a wrap. And it's full funny too. Like, I don't know if we talked about this ever. But my internet like cut out. I have like Hulu, you know? So it cut uh-huh. out. So Every time I would get it going again, Creighton would like cut the lead in half. So like it went from 16 to eight in the first interruption. I go, okay, well that wasn't so bad, I guess. And then it interrupted, right. it interrupted one more time. And when I got it back, it went from 10 to four by the time I got it back. And then when I got it back, it was a ball game again. So it was like, I missed all the cool comeback part of it. But then 
watching Mitch and Marcus hit those daggers at the end. It was like, oh my god, that was the most ridiculous game I've ever seen. So that's like the not if there, if I had to take it, uh, it wasn't NCAA tournament. Um, that's the one I'm sticking with for sure because that was crazy. I'm I'm literally going through my notes right now because I remember I had to do a podcast right after that game and I was kind of like in the same boat as you where like I was just like damn it like I don't want to have to do this podcast after a loss and I just like kind of stopped taking game notes and then like as I was watching the boys just kept chipping away chipping mm-hmm. away chipping away and then Marcus just had that fire that look in his eyes yeah that was, that was a great that was a great game and i'll give you one last one and i guess we can move on to the next question if you don't have uh another one that sticks out at you this might be like the corniest answer of them all but the opening night against north dakota state like there was a let's remember that we weren't sure season was now sorry about that another game that sticks out at no you're good you're good another game that sticks out at me is just that that north dakota state game it might be like the corniest answer right but like just there was a point where we didn't think that the season was actually going to happen so like once the schedule came out and like there was a buzz around the team and around everything that was going on uh that game really sticks out at me because like it was just such a new environment something that we weren't used to even you like as being a part of the media yeah. Uh, not having access to the team, having to do everything remotely from home, essentially, even like post-game press conferences and stuff like that. That was just all new for all of us, especially at the college level. So like, I think that's one of those memories that sticks out uh, for me this year is just what the new normal of what a COVID season was going to look like. That North Dakota State game, it was like the first step towards uh, what we saw for the rest of the season. And obviously like the culmination of that ending tonight. Okay. Um, this is our last question. I think it's a really good one because I actually have a pretty good story to tell for it. A little unconventional. Oh. Um, but I'll let you go first because I think I think my story is a little bit outside the box. So um, our last question is try to pick a career-defining play moment for Mitch Ballack in the last four years. Oh, it's got to be last year on the – unfortunate passing of Kobe 824 on the clock oh my god I just got chills again man that was he pulls up for a 45 footer (laughs) yeah dude wearing wearing Kobe's on pink out day if you gotta if I have to pick one moment that stands out from his career it's gotta be that for me and I still have you just said you just got chills. Like I'm, I'm thinking about that like Instagram post that the Jays put up after that game. Yeah. Obviously, once the players found out, and whew, uh, Kobe uh, for a basketball players, Kobe is everything, right? And Mamba mentality is like as uh, cliche, I guess, as a phrase that that has become. Anytime anyone has a big game, they say Mamba mentality, Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. But like that is the truth, though. Like that is what yeah. that man represented. It's just that outright killer mindset as soon as you step between those four lines. Um, so for Mitch to wear number twenty-four, the day that Kobe passes, unfortunately, God rest his soul, with eight twenty-four left uh, on the game clock, yeah. and for him to pull. A deep ass three wearing pink, pink out Kobe's. Mm-hmm. Hey, that that's the one for me. 
That was that. I still get chills. I still get chills watching that yeah. one. That's crazy. Yeah, because like you're right. I, I you're right about mama mentality. Yeah, you did yeah. for sure. That was a home run. <laughs> you're right about mama mentality because like, but it means different things to different people. Like Mitch's mama mentality is pulling up from every logo he can find. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like he. That's that's his deal. Like so, if you're him to hit that. Like you said, wearing number twenty four, wearing Kobe's with eight twenty four on the clock, like just unbelievable, like unbelievable. I I have a I have a trivia question for you, and I guess we'd have to go back and look at a whole ton of tape to see if we could actually like figure this out. Okay, has there been a Biggie's half court logo that Mitch has not made an end game three off of? <laughs> uh, well, I think UConn's obviously counts now. So, like, do we go pre UConn? Uh, yeah, let's go pre UConn. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he only had one chance at UConn, so yeah, that's why right. he had he had about uh, I would say I guess four chances everywhere else. Yeah, so four where he had yeah. four years of, of 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 dotting up logos essentially. Is there one yeah. he hasn't? He got Providence. <laughs> he got Seton Hall. Uh huh. Um, he got Nova this year. He got Georgetown. Oh, he had Georgetown on a cold one. At half. Yeah, oh yeah, he did. My God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he got Georgetown. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know if there is. That's that. That should be fun to go. We should go back we'll, and look we'll and to, see. We have to go back and look at like what logo. What logo left? Un, maybe we could like. Maybe that's a, that'll be his unfinished business. Like he comes back next year to dot up every logo he has. Rob Rob Anderson for sure has that stat. For sure, for 100%. sure has. It. I he remember knows how many logos were painted by Mitch. Bl- paint, logos blessed I, by Mitch Ballack. I remember he had a stat. It was like Coach Mac laughs about this. Like to this day, it was one of his like go-to stories. I like some of the functions and stuff like that that we had to go to about Rob Anderson's stats. Ross for anytime Ross Free scores like five points or something like that, the Jays are like nineteen and zero. <laughs> so like I like, but it's like. Uh, I love you, Ross. You know I love you, bro. Don't even come back at me on this one. But it's just like, it, yeah, like the game was probably already decided at that point in time. So it's like, yeah. is Rob has a staff for everything. So like, I'm sure he mm-hmm. knows exactly which logo has been painted, as you just said, and which yeah. haven't. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Rob is very. All right, I want to hear your story. Sure. Story time okay. with Matt. Okay. Come okay. On. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. My story time. So this is this is unconventional. It's not a play. It's not anything you'll be able to see from a game, but I think it does define how this season ended. So it's the start of his sophomore season. So him, Ty, Marcus is a freshman. Um, they went to the. I think they went to the Cayman Islands for this one. Where did they play Clemson? Was it in Cayman Islands or was it Cancun? Um, the one that they won. Yeah, where Ty had 36 and they beat Clemson going away pretty much. I mean, hold up. Let me pull it up. I got to make sure I get – I want to make the, the details. I remember right. one year, I think they beat Nevada and then beat Ole Miss. Yeah, uh, Nevada was in – that might have – Well, uh, yeah, Ole Miss was in Florida, a, I think. That was in Florida. Yeah, I think that's a J.P., Maurice Watson, uh, Kyrie Thomas team, a Marcus Foster team, right? Yeah, I thought that was Cancun. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Cayman Islands was Clemson. Okay. So yeah, they went to the Cayman mm-hmm. Islands. They came back from that. They had just beaten Clemson, who was I think Clemson was ranked in the top 15 at the time, and they had just come off in a a, a sweet 16. 
they lost to Kansas and Omaha in the Sweet 16. So they were coming off a pretty good year, and they're ranked in the top 15, and the Jays weren't really on anybody's radar yet. And then Ty dropped 36 on their head, and uh, they, they scored 87. They won going away. Um, so they came back from that, and their first practice, I think they were playing – it's funny because they were playing Montana the game after that, and they had number one Gonzaga coming to Omaha. So, like, it's kind of funny that it ended this way. Yeah. Gonzaga today. Uh, but anyway, they come back to practice, the first practice from the, that Cayman Islands trip, and it was horrible. They were so lazy, um, like, details failing miserably all over the floor, guys yelling at each other, like – it, it, it looked like one of those practices where you read your own press clippings and then showed up and gave half-assed effort. And everybody was like, you know, like just getting each other's ass pretty much. So mm-hmm. Mitch, so the, basically the practice fast forward, the practice ends in like nothing but sprints. You've been a part of one of some of those before, right? Like Max just like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this nonsense. We're just going to run. So, yeah. so they're just, they're just running sprints. Okay. So it's like, it's a good 10 to 15 minutes of nothing but sprints. Um, cause nothing productive got done that day. And not only is Mitch just like lapping the field with these sprints, like he, not only is he just blowing everybody away with how fast he's motoring, he's talking the whole time. Like he's, he's just yelling, like at the top of his lungs while he's running, just like, just chewing everybody apart. Like, you know, basically holding guys accountable up and down. I think, you know, uh, for everything that was going on that day, like why that's unacceptable, you know, why all this type of stuff can't be happening, why we haven't done anything yet, why nobody's better than the other. Like no one should be, no one should have an ego. Like we haven't done anything yet. All we did was win one tournament. It's still December, yada, 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 everything. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's sprinting and he's yelling this. Like, so he's not even getting tired. It's kind of, it was kind of funny. Cause like, he's going full blast. Like, and he's like a good like seven lengths ahead of everybody, and he's still talking the whole time, like he just won't stop. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Mitch kind of lash out that way. Like he'd kind of been, you know, he diverted to uh, Marcus and Kyrie the year before as the leaders of the team. He didn't really kind of have um, or let his voice be heard as much. So that was the first time his voice came out. And then so when they get done sprinting, and when everybody's like dog tired, like people about to throw up and stuff. Um, they meet for the they meet in center court at the championship center for the post practice kind of you know huddle or whatever, and it wasn't really Mac that that led it. It was Mitch. So Mitch was like, "Guys, look, you know, and he was calmer now, so he got it all out of his system, and he was calmer, and he was like, "Hey, look, that, like this is just we don't have to be like this, you know what I mean? Like th- we're not we haven't done anything yet, but if we if we stick together through." both like kind of the good and the bad. If we, if we don't get too ahead of ourselves in terms of what we accomplished and we don't, you know, um, quit on each other in terms of like our own individual goals, we can make history here. We can be the first team to go to a space 16 and create in history. He said those words, like, he's like, all we gotta do is stick together. We gotta embrace the grind. We gotta keep getting better every single day. We can't let the Clemson win be the, the best thing we do in our careers. Cause it, it won't be. Um, so like that moment right there was like, it became, it became Mitch's team right then and there, like early in his sophomore year, I'm like, that dude is going to be the best leader that this group is around in terms of players. And if they follow him, if they, if they trust him, they'll make, they'll, they will make history. So the fact that 
he said that right before the Gonzaga game when Gonzaga was number one in the country coming in with Rui Hachimura, Brandon Clark, all those dudes. Um, the fact that he said it right before that Gonzaga game and had that kind of come to Jesus practice, because honestly – they did, I don't think they had a bad practice the rest of that season. Like not one near – they didn't have anything near to that, like not even close. They were always locked in, and that was a tough year. They had a lot of losing streaks. They had a lot of downs, a lot of injuries, um, a lot of reasons to kind of give up, and they didn't. And I, I just can't help but think that that was the, the tide-turning practice that let them know, like just, just no matter what happens, show up the next day ready to work, ready to improve, ready to build – um, and so to see it come to fruition now come full circle where they, they did make history. They did go to the sweet 16 and Gonzaga was waiting at the end of it again. Like it's almost like that whole moment came full circle where Mitch yeah. just like, let them all know we haven't accomplished anything yet. We can still do this thing. We can still make history. And then they ended up making history that group. They won the Big East title last year for the first time. Um, they, and then they made the sweet 16 this year for the first time, just like, that's the Mitch moment I'll never forget is when he took over that whole practice in the middle of dead sprints where he should have been exhausted. He was yelling and he was being a leader. And then at the end of the practice, he comes back and said, look, don't take any of that shit. I said, personally, it's all about growth. It's all about it's all, like, it's like right. you talked about last time. It's like, it's all about growth. It's all about us holding each other accountable. Um, it's all about yeah. what we can accomplish together. And they did it. And I'm like, I think that's the one thing I'll always remember about Mitch is like, he knew the potential of this team before the team knew it. And I think that's really rare to have a player understand that. It's one thing for a player to have the goal, but it's a different thing to have him understand it and be able to extract it from his teammates as a leader. And the fact that he did that as a sophomore is the thing that I'll, I'll never forget. Like that was a, that was a practice I will never forget as long as I'm covering the chase. I have a hypothetical question for you that I just kind of thought of because you just mentioned, you know, obviously Mitch's past and the teams that he's been on. And then obviously talking about like helping last year's group win that first share of the Big East regular season championship and advancing to the 316 for the first time in Jay's history. Hypothetical question for you. I actually have a couple of them. The first one, uh, last year's team, no COVID. How far do you think that team goes? Um, well, Marcus's injury would have hurt things for sure. It just would have depended on the that's that that's the thing that people forget about is that Marcus got hurt that last game against Seton Hall at home. People yeah. forget that, like the oh it would have been an elite eight team for sure. Hey, now like Jed Canfield was having to give up his life because <laughs> yeah. they needed him right. to uh that first game in the big East tournament. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think the Marcus the Marcus injury definitely limited their ceiling. It it, it brought it down for sure. I I don't know, I don't know that they couldn't have still made a Sweet Sixteen though, because I think, I think Ty at, at the one would have been okay. Like he's a low turnover guy, a good decision maker, a good playmaker. Um, it's different. Him on the ball was going to be different than him playing off the ball with Marcus, but. It wasn't like he hadn't had experience doing it. Like they, he played point as a freshman, um, so he had he had some repetition. Like he had some experience. It just would have depended on the matchup, honestly. Like if they had a good draw, if if the if the if the committee had said, "Look, we don't know about Marcus. Let's give him a two seed. We think they're still on that level." Then they're probably, you know, getting the team that they can easily beat in the first round, and then a bubble team in the second. Like, do I think? Do I think Ty 
at the point could have got that job done and got into a Sweet 16, I would probably lean yes in a hypothetical scenario because um, I didn't think they were getting overwhelmed by St. John's in that first game. I actually think they were starting to build towards taking that game over. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think they could have handled it all right. But, like, Villanova this year lost Gillespie and still made it to the Sweet 16. So, you know, I think that Creighton would have been able to yeah. do it. They had enough dudes to still do it. But it is it is a, it is a an interesting question because you don't – you don't, I don't know. It's like that's the part of it that we don't ever – we'll never Se- Second hypothetical question. Second hypothetical question. If the Jays don't stink up the joint against Georgetown and get a better seed in the tournament, are they still playing on Tuesday? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because I don't know if they're getting above a four anyway. Do you think so? That's the only way. I, I that's thought, the only way they face like they they to avoid Gonzaga or Baylor. You have to be a three, right? So if they're in a different bracket, I mean, shit. It once Loyola to clear Illinois, that that whole bracket opened up. So yeah, could they beat Oregon State's ass? Yeah. Like, could they beat Houston? Yeah. Like, right. So yeah, that that draw was rough. Could they it be Arkansas? Go- I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they would have killed Arkansas yesterday. No one played well yesterday. Like those were all grinders. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 No, just running into running into Gonzaga so, was the, just, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I even think they would beat Michigan it, now. I, I just I, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask that question just because like people need to understand how it's like such a game of inches. It's like every little thing matters. We talked about Marcus's injury last year, whether or not he could have let's just say like he was able to be healthy enough for the tournament, or maybe not by the first round, but by the time Sweet 16 rolled around, like he was healthy enough, you're looking at a potential elite eight. And then, you know, luck of the draw happens, maybe a final 14, perhaps the last year, see how good they were, how cohesive they were, and just how much trust that they had in one another. This year, things are a little bit different. They get up to kind of a slow start, obviously, because of COVID. Their talent kind of prevails earlier on, but we don't necessarily see, like, the full picture of what this team could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, until later on into the season where, you know, things are slow, slowly starting to roll in their direction. And obviously the stuff with Coach Mack happens and that opened up a whole other can of worms. And I guess another thing that the team has to go through and then like, do they have the perfect cohesiveness to make that Big East tournament uh, championship run? Uh, obviously it didn't happen for them. So there's a lot of question mark on that end of the uh, of things too. I believe that they could have gone to three seed. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. And like I said, I'm, it's a very biased, unbiased opinion, <laughs> as I like to say when I talk about the boys, yeah. but it's just like, <clears throat> the NCAA tournament and everything that comes with it is such a small margin. Like anything could change the tide for any team. Mm-hmm. Or Roberts, in my opinion, had the perfect bracket to get to where they got to. And, uh, and they were a possession away from being an elite eight team. Do I believe that Oral Roberts on any given day is a better team than Crane? Absolutely not. not. Not in my wildest dreams do I believe that. But... That's the little margins that we're playing with when it comes to that time of year. So it's just like, well, it, I just think about your senior year team. Like, mm-hmm. I watched that Baylor Nebraska game. I did not leave that Baylor Nebraska game thinking that Creighton's going to get housed in two days. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like, so if Baylor doesn't play their A plus out of their mind game and Creighton doesn't have a dud, Creighton, yeah. 
Creighton faces Wisconsin in the Sweet 16 round. Right. Like, Creighton's going – I'm sorry, but, like, no disrespect to Wisconsin, but Creighton's going to the Elite Eight. Like, they are just yeah. – you know what I'm saying? We, we, were, we were in an Elite Eight team that just – Yeah, at minimum. At minimum. Yes, yes. That that's just, they didn't get there. 100%. 100%. Like, they, and, I'm sorry, but Wisconsin wasn't – you know how much of a – yeah, you know how much of a conspiracy – you know how much of a conspiracy theorist I am when it comes to, like, NCAA storylines and stuff like that. When I saw that it was Baylor, Nebraska, did you not think that my mind was spinning? Like, they're trying to have this – a Nebraska round of yes. 32 matchup. Like, 100%. I, I didn't even think that Baylor – was going to beat Nebraska in that first game. To be I honest, I thought Nebraska had a better matchup uh, with Coach Miles running the show over there at the time, and I thought we were just going to have to oh, look. We're going to have to beat Nebraska again. Like when we said it was Baylor, I was like, oh, okay, you know what? Like that's definitely a beatable team. For and sure. like you said, we just we ran into an absolute buzzsaw that day. And for that day, they were the better team. I still believe nine out of ten times we beat them. But look, that's either here, here nor there. They whooped our ass that day yeah. and ended, uh, you know, my career and you know my fellow seniors' careers uh, with that loss too. But it's just like people don't understand. Like the, the some of the questions that we were getting earlier about, like, should we let go of let it fly? Do we think this is as far as Coach Mack could take this particular group mm. of guys? Look, listen, guys, it, it's such a small margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could change the tides for any team uh, like as the year goes on and then obviously most notably in the NCAA tournament. So I think the boys are, in the, are headed in the right direction. Obviously, we're going to be losing a, a talented group of guys. Uh, and, you know, anytime you see like uh, a core group of guys like that graduate, it's always going to stick at you a little bit. It's always yeah. going to hurt the program and the culture. Uh, because of all that they've represented, you know, especially like the guys who transferred in who had to adopt, you know, this culture and, and this style of play and really integrate themselves into the Korean family from what they had known previously. Like it, it hurts to see those guys go through that development and then all of a sudden their career is over. Mm-hmm. But we're still headed in the right direction. I think we're still kind of like in that Mark Few Gonzaga type of mold that we've been building, yeah. we've been building, we've been building. And Sooner or later, we're going to capitalize on the handful of years that we're going to be like, look, this is where we always envisioned the program to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that future is actually much sooner than later. Um, and I just I can't wait to just kind of hitch, you know, hitch myself to the wagon and, and just kind of go along for the ride. <laughs> well, that's the kind of thing. You're absolutely right in terms of how you build it, because you have to break through with a group that you didn't expect to break through. And then all of a sudden you convince yourself that you can put the bar a little bit higher. So right now the sweet 16 was always the goal for any group because it hadn't been done. Um, right. So, but, but had last year's group done that uh, this year's group would have had higher goals. You know what I mean? Right. So that's what I'm saying. It, it, and it goes, but it, the reason that I think there's a lot to still have faith in, in terms of um, the program itself and, and, and what you guys the kind of your non-negotiables, what, how we're going to play the style we're going to, we're going to, we're going to play um, is that you've seen what happens when it builds, you know what I mean? That 13, 14 squad, like we said, the margin for error was like this. I thought, honestly, mm-hmm. when I look at your path and I'm like Baylor, Nebraska, Wisconsin, I thought Louisiana was your toughest test that whole road. Like, thought, <laughs> yeah. you know I'm saying? Cause that's the squad you don't know a whole lot about. And they're the ones with <laughs> Alfred Payton a surefire NBA player, like that was going to be the toughest battle I thought in terms of a matchup. So 
that, but you see how it goes. You got by Louisiana mm-hmm. and then Baylor played out of their minds. Um, and then you would have gotten Wisconsin. So like, it's just, it's, that's the way the road goes sometimes. Um, but that squad had built up to something special. You saw the 16, 17 squad um, the year before they win a couple NIT games. They build up a little bit. They get JP into the mix. Um, they take on Wisconsin earlier in the year, knock them off and then don't lose to anybody except for Villanova when they're fully healthy. So it's like, what does that squad look like? Final four, right? And then yeah. so now you fast forward to last year. No one thought much of last year's team coming into the season, right? You know, all they lost all these games last year. They can't win close games, yada, yada, yada. Well, all of a sudden, these baby Blue Jays have grown up a little bit through their experiences, and now they're winning the Big East title. Um, they're the number one seed in, M- in MSG. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski looks like an All-American. Tyshawn Alexander looks like an All-American. Um you know, put that full squad healthy together, get them in March. They're probably a two seed and running away with this thing, right? So, like, that's what yeah. I mean. You should have – people should have faith in what's being done here as a program because every time it builds up to its peak, it looks pretty damn good, right? right. Like, it just does. Like, the world beaters is what they look like. <laughs> yeah. Like, there, are, there yeah. are days when you're like, there isn't a team in the country that can beat Creighton. So, when you – when that's your ceiling, what would you complain about? Like, why would you want to see what else there is? I think, yeah, keep letting it fly for God's sake. Yeah, yeah the proof is in the, the proof sakes, is in the keep letting it <laughs> keep letting it fly for God's yeah. sake. Keep that, shooting first and ask questions later. <laughs> God damn it! Keep letting it fly, Jay. Yeah, keep shooting, Jay's. Keep shooting. <laughs> All right, Jay. I appreciate you, yeah. man. Thank you for hopping on and. <clears throat> No problem, man. You know, it's always a pleasure of mine anytime we get to reconnect and and talk Jays basketball. I don't know when the next time will be. Maybe you'll have me on like uh, around recruiting time or whatever the case may be. But I mean, it's been a it's been a hell of a ride all year. Uh, It's been really cool to just catch up with you just as a friend, uh, as a guy that, you know, I've known for a decade now almost yeah it's getting up we, there we've now. known each other for we don't need to talk, about, we don't now, need to talk so. about that part of it we're okay yeah we don't need <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just trying to say i i appreciate you yeah. you know like for for having me on and, and like for kind of helping me out throughout this year a little bit you, you've talked to me you've kind of given me pointers here and there so i really appreciate you and then obviously uh me listening to you not only this year but throughout the years i've kind of learned a little bit you know about you know reporting on the jays and, and just reporting in general so i appreciate you for having me on just kind of showing me the ropes and and yeah just just being a good friend and all-around good guy always jay you know it man check out jansen's podcast on welcome to the jay field of 68 network he's gonna be mm-hmm. dude, dude's gonna be like one of your favorite podcasters going forward so check it out always be tuning in the guests are going to be off the hook, right? I can't even wait to see what you're going to have with like a full off season to plan a show. It's going to be so entertaining. So check that out. If you already have it, subscribe have to his podcast. So, I have so many ideas. Uh, I have so many ideas. That one, and then I just I have some plans for like the different type of guys that I want to bring on as we go through this off season with the Jays too. Uh, uh, I I 
don't I want to give you guys a little bit of a teaser, but I have what I think is going to be my favorite show. Are you there? You got me. <laughs> Dude, I think Zoom's had enough of us. <laughs> Zoom's yeah, I know. I think they're trying to keep us in work. It's all good. I think I, I can hear you. Yeah. I just can't see you. So it's all messed up. I think my internet's, uh, it's my internet this time. You still with me? Yeah. I, usually it's the Lithuanian one. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to wrap it up real quick. Check out. Check out. Check out Jahan's work on Field 68. He's got some cool stuff planned. Um, Zoom didn't really let us tell you about it because Zoom's weird. So <laughs> we'll get it figured out, though. But it was it was fun talking hoops yeah. with you guys. Uh, thanks for interacting. <laughs> thanks for your feedback and your questions. Um, we always love going through your guys' topics and whatnot. So it's been a fun ride. It's not over yet, but uh, we'll be coming back at you next year for sure, better than back and better than ever. So. We appreciate you guys the whole time. Thanks for listening, everybody.